What's up, Disrupt Nation? So, my name is Anthony Delgado, and on today's episode of the Disrupt Podcast, we have a really good friend of mine. His name is John Malott. He is an entrepreneur. He's the co-owner of Build Your Empire and the Modi app. And his purpose is to inspire greatness in the next generation of young entrepreneurs. So he's run multiple successful businesses, generated hundreds of millions of dollars in sales and revenue uh, over his illustrious career. And he's going to be uh, speaking about one of his passions, uh, which is teaching entrepreneurship, but not necessarily, uh, you know, how to do email marketing, how to, you know, sell sales 101, marketing 101. No, he's actually going to be giving you his experiences and his transformation. He's going to be talking about some of the most painful things that happened to him in his life. Um, you know, everything from being arrested to doing drugs and hanging with the wrong crowd, uh, all up until the skills that he's used to transform out of the street life and create multiple multi, uh, multi-million dollar businesses. So it's my good friend, Sean Malat. He traveled all the way out uh, from Arizona, which is where he's headquartered right now, to uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico to speak to the youth and inspire them. So we're going to get into this episode of the Disrupt Podcast featuring my good friend, John Malat. And I'll never forget, uh, I had to end up in an altercation at the 6th District with the police there. So when they took me downtown into uh, the Milwaukee County Jail Facility, I ended up in this room filled with, with criminals. It's July 4th, by the way, it's the weekend, so it was a busy time to be in that facility. Now I had a bandage on my head because I, I ended up with stitches in my head at the hands of the police department. But, but I remember sitting, there, there, was a, there was a bench around the room where the hardened criminals sat. And I wasn't quite in that category yet, so I had to find a little spot on the floor uh, to make my, my spot. But I remember sitting in that, that facility, and it was in there that a couple of things flashed through my mind. Number one, my daughter Lauren, and the tears you know, streaming down her face. There was one other thing that happened to me prior to this. I found myself locked in a facility and going through a drug rehabilitation program inside this facility. And a man in there, uh, he said that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I don't know where he got that from at the time, but, but it stuck with me somehow. And I, I never really thought about it until I was sitting on that floor. And, and in my mind's eye, I could see my daughter and it kept replaying in my mind that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Here I am locked up in a facility. I can't take care of the one child that I have right now. And it was in there that I made a decision. I think like most entrepreneurs, at some point we make a decision. My, one of my mentors, Jim Rohn, he says, beware of the man or the woman who's just had enough, who's just completely fed up. I was fed up with the life that I had. And if I took you back to the journey that led me to that place of fed upness, it was when I was 15 years old, it was the first felony arrest, my very first felony arrest. I didn't set out that day to be arrested. I didn't set out that day to commit a crime. I was hanging with my friends and I used to wear a Louisville starter jacket in my neighborhood in the back. I had sewed a towel in it where I kept a 44 Magnum because I thought that's what I was supposed to do in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And because I wasn't built for that neighborhood, I wasn't built to be a gangster in that neighborhood. I happened to be put into that neighborhood. I was the only white kid in my, my particular neighborhood, but I remember being in this movie theater with two of my buddies and, and we were disruptive. Uh, we were doing what we did on a regular basis. So they came to our seats and asked us to leave. And we got out of our seats and had attitudes and I said, well, I'll leave, but I want my money back. And when he said, read the back of your ticket, it says, there are no refunds. And I said, well, then I will take everybody's money back. 
at that point, I, I end up spending the next 18 months locked in a uh, detention facility for, for juveniles, which in that facility was nothing about rehabilitation. It had very little to do with rehabilitation. It was a bunch of us sitting around talking about how we wouldn't get caught the next time. How would we be better the next time? You know, how the system sucked and how everybody around us sucked and the government sucked and everybody sucked. I took zero responsibility for anything. What I did do on a regular basis, what I became great at, I became great at blaming my teachers. I became great great at blaming my father, who was a steel worker, who had an alcohol problem. My mother had left the house when we were young kids. My, my sister died from a heroin overdose when she was 21 years old. My brother today is 44 years old, barely eats any food because his heroin addiction has consumed his entire life. And so people wonder, you know, they ask sometimes, how did, how did you take this path when, when the two other people growing up in the same exact household, in the same exact environment, chose to take a completely different path? And it was because I had world-class entrepreneurs come into my life, and it, and it didn't come by, by, by choice. It came being locked in a facility where someone gave me a book. The book was called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was the, my first step into personal development. I didn't know what personal development meant. I didn't go to school. I had no interest in, in personally developing. I didn't think. And in that, and in that, uh, in that book, I started to realize, matter of fact, if someone gives you that book, they're trying to tell you something. They were trying to tell me you're a jerk. And if you continue on this path, you're going to get yourself nowhere. And, and by reading that book, it set the stage for all the things that I started to do. But it didn't happen right away, guys, because after I was released from the drug rehabilitation facility, the neighborhood that I grew up in was going through this crack epidemic. Uh, so the smoking cocaine thing, and, and my challenge was I always wanted to be a capitalist. I always wanted to be the guy with the big rims and the nice truck and all the stuff and, and the women and all the things that, that I thought I wanted at the time. And so I wanted to be the capitalist, but the challenge is I liked the product too much. You know, but funny today, it wasn't funny back then. And at 17 years old, I had a heart attack from smoking cocaine. And again, it was, it was being... And there were circumstances that, that led me back to being locked up in a facility again. And, and again, around people that saw more of me than I saw in myself. You ever have people around you like that? They see, all, see more in you than you could see in yourself. My, it was my own mindset that kept me broken. It was my own mindset that kept me stuck, kept me trapped, kept me making excuses. I love what Gerard said. It's tough to be an entrepreneur when, you know, Gerard said it earlier, you can, you can make money or you can make excuses, basically. You can step up or not. You can build a legacy or not. I, I, I put legacy on my arm. I tattooed the things. I, matter of fact, I tattooed on my arm that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And these were the lessons that now are embedded in my mind and the things that drive me. So when people hear the stories about $200 million a year, they're impressed with that. They're impressed with those stories, but it was a journey. So people say, well, I want to have what you have. I said, well, are you willing to do what I did? You know, are you willing to go through the, the, the fire, the trials, the tribulations? Are you willing to hunt every single day for your food? You guys know what I'm talking about? Two of you, two of you. I got two of you today. You guys got me working out here. I, I, I appreciate it. Let, let me just, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move quickly because you guys are, you're, you're obviously looking for something else than, than this talk today. You're here uh, to hear a lot of other things. But, you know, I was, uh, this mindset thing is what, what kept me down. It reminds me of a story where a young man is, uh, you know, on the pier and he's fishing and a, and a more mature gentleman is watching him fishing. He notices that this young man is doing very well. You know, he's pulling fish out of, you know, one fish after another out of this, this lake. And, and the, but he noticed something peculiar about the way he was fishing. Every time he caught a big fish, he would throw it back. Now, I'm not a you know, big fisherman, but, but you know, I, I, I get the concept too. The bigger the fish, the better the fish. The more meat, you get to eat better. So the old man eventually came over to the young man. He said, he said I see you're catching all these fish, but it's interesting to me that you keep throwing back the big fish. 
And the young boy looked at the old man. He said, the reason why I keep throwing back the big fish is because I only have an eight inch frying pan. How many of us are fishing with an eight inch frying pan? You know, the mindset, it's, it's, it's the belief system. And, and see, I used to think uh, that everything was about the results I was getting. I used to believe that everything was about the results. So I focused so much on getting a particular result. I put so much pressure on me. I had so much stress around achieving a certain result every single day. And it stressed me out to the point. And, and because I was stressed, I stressed out the house. I stressed all the people out around me. And I was fortunate that, fortunate that a mentor, again, Jim Rohn, I was fortunate to have Jim Rohn come early into my life because of an entrepreneurial venture. And, but Jim Rohn pointed out to me, he said, look, it's not the results that are important. So you have to work backwards. If you want to be successful, you have to work backwards because your results, your results with your activities, your actions, whatever you want to call that, it came from your behavior. And here's where things start to break down a little bit. You know, we've got, we've got uh, facilities all over the world set up to correct people's behavior or punish people's behavior. We call them maximum security prisons. You guys have heard of these places, right? We're filling them up to the point we can't build them fast enough, overcrowded to the max. So they're certainly not rehabilitation centers. They're certainly not helping people to become free when they get out. But I, I remember I used to come home at night and, and there was a show on, I think it was HBO, it was called Oz. It was about, it was about maximum security. Remember, remember Oz? And there was, a, there was a guy in a wheelchair that would narrate the show. And I'll never forget one time, and he, he was talking, he was narrating, he said, he said, people in prison, they have to give up on, on, on everything that they believe. They have to give up on all their hopes and their dreams and all these things to survive. Imagine if you're gonna spend the rest of your life in a prison, you're going to have to give up on all those things you thought you were going to get at one time. You have to give up on all that stuff. And he said, and, they're, and they're locked up physically. They can't go anywhere. They can't accomplish the things that they maybe thought at one time or, or they had the God-given potential to create. But he said, here's the even bigger challenge. He said, 99% of the people that are outside of prison, they don't have bars in front of them. And what they do is they hold on to all their hopes dreams and visions. They, their whole thing is one day it's going to happen. Somehow it's going to happen to me. One day I'll hit the $1.6 billion lottery. Someday it's going to happen for me. And yet 99% of those people never, ever, ever, ever reach their potential. You know why? Because they're locked in a different prison. No bars, but the prison of the mind. Trapped by their own thinking, trapped by their limited beliefs, trapped by small thinking. There's a book called Think and Grow Rich. You guys ever heard of the book Think and Grow Rich? It's a basic fundamental to building a, your life, in my opinion. The first time I read it, I didn't get it. There were things in there that went way over my head. I heard one time they said, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I wasn't ready for the information the first time I read it. But after the sixth time, the seventh time. You guys ever read a book one time or go to a movie one time and you watch it or you see it and you get it. But you go back a second time and you, they put something in the book that wasn't there in the movie that wasn't there the first time. It was because we weren't ready for it the first time. And, and, and so I, I remember, you know, I started to catch on that so many people were living these lives of quiet desperation that they were following the follower in this big circle. They're doing exactly what they're told. I remember I did exactly what I was told in the beginning. I was told, you know, you're supposed to, you know, go to school, get an education. Well, I made it to the 10th grade In the 10th grade. I, I, I dropped out. I didn't follow all the way through, but I, I started to meet people that were doing exactly what society said to do. Go to school, get good grades so you can get a what? Yeah, you got, well, you got to get the piece of paper first, then you can get the, the job. And then after you get the job, then what happens? Look at like deer caught in headlights. Uh, nobody knows. Nobody. Yeah, what happens? Debt, frustration. I, am I right, right about this? 
We're seeing today now people are people are not arguing entrepreneurship anymore like they did 10, 15 years ago. You can't argue the fact that entrepreneurship for a skinny white kid from the hood, entrepreneurship can make you a rock star. You guys know what I'm talking about? Entrepreneurship is the way out. Entrepreneurship is the real way out because we've seen over and forth. Look, and I hear people talk about millennials and they say millennials don't want to work or millennials are lazy. That's a bunch of crap. That's not the truth. Millennials, millennials, that, yeah, you should clap for this because you guys got to stand up proud and loud because here's what I discovered about millennials. Millennials don't want to do what my father did. Give, you know, every day, literally blood, sweat, and tears to a steel mill that eventually took him out. When I was 14 years old, he got crushed by a steel mill. He was in intensive care for a year. He, for another year, he laid in a wheelchair flat on his stomach and rolled like this. This, this then the company took, the entire, the entire company shut down, moved the company to another country. Everybody that thought they had the good jobs no longer had jobs. But we became, as a society, we became so desensitized by layoffs, downsizing, right-sizing, capsizing. It didn't phase us anymore. When they first started laying people off, we were up in arms about it. Now it's just part of the deal. We don't expect to walk into a company, whether it's a, a factory or a cubicle, we don't expect to walk in those companies and be there for the rest of our lives. And the millennials say, I will not give up my dreams, my vision, my freedom, my hopes, my future to go Go build someone else's dreams. I remember when thank you for that. Thank you. I remember when I was a janitor, because I had to get a job. They told me, get a good job. You're a bum. I did bum real well. It was time for me to step up and, and, and get my J-O-B. So I, the only place that would hire me because of two felonies and, and my background and, and everything else and my communication. My, my, my communication still is not so great today. But my communication, I, back then I couldn't speak without cuss words flying out of my mouth. And I know today it's okay. We see speakers doing it all the time. But I learned I had to sharpen myself up everywhere, every way. My mentor said, cut your hair, learn language, learn how to communicate better. You want to be an entrepreneur to pitch, you know, your products, goods and services to people, then look the part, come up and be sharp. And it's not just what you say sometimes, it's how you say it. It's the feeling in, in which you say it in that's more important. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. All right, I'm getting, I've got, a, now I got three of you with me. <laughs> Anyways, guys, I, I I, I, I got a lot to say, but uh, I don't want to take time away from, from the rest of uh, the program today. Um, 13 minutes. Oh, 13 minutes. You know, I'll tell you that, uh, you know, let, 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 me, let me fast forward a, a little bit. Uh, I've, been, I've been fortunate to... Uh, uh, because of mentorship, because of guidance, because of direction, again, because of people that saw more of me than I saw myself, uh, I, I, I had three things. I had a, a burning desire. I had this white hot desire to stop making excuses to family, friends, and bill collectors. You know, I had this, this white hot desire to take my, my kid. Look, my, my oldest, she's now 26 years old, Lauren, my baby. Lauren lived through the hood. She lived through my drug problem. She lived through a dad who was not present because he didn't know how to be present. And, and I knew I had to get her out of that neighborhood. And the, in the environment that I grew up in, women weren't treated very well. And, and all you got to do is listen to some of the music today and you can get an idea, you know, how we disrespect women on a regular basis. And I have a daughter now. So the disrespect that I had for women, I now had to start rethinking because now, you know, as they get older, you know, guys like me were showing up at the front door. And I'm like, ah, you can't not date my daughter because you're too much like I was when I was a kid. And so I knew that in order for for 
the, the Malat family tree to change, then I was going to have to be the one to make the changes because nobody had graduated from high school in my, as far back as we could figure out. By the way, if, if, you, if you start to ask yourself some questions, you know, do you know your great, 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 great? Let's go back 10 generations. How many people know their great, 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 great grandfather? How many people know that person? A couple of you. Do you know why the rest of us don't know? Because they didn't leave us anything. And it's not just the money. Now that's great because I promise you the, the descendants of the Winfrey family or the Jordan family or the sucker punk family or, or we can go on and on. They, they will know for generations who they were. But it's not just about the money. I, Jim Rohn taught me, he said, look, it's not about the books that you read necessarily, which you better read those books because that's one of the separators, the books you read, the people you meet and the seminars that you attend. But he said, it's the unwritten books that you write in that'll tell the story of who you are. And I'll never forget Lauren later on in life when she was... Uh, uh, I came home one day and she's sitting on the couch and she had tears in her eyes and I realized she got a hold of one of my journals. And she was reading in the journal about uh, how proud I was of her. And, and I, I used to go to the school. Well, I didn't have a job because I was an entrepreneur. So I had some freedom that a lot of people didn't have. So I used to mess them up all the time and go to the school and hang out with the kids. I loved recess. So I would go play with the kids. And I talked in the journal. I wrote about the day we made bug soup on the playground. And, and I'm running around with all these little kids and we're kicking the ball around. And I'm just saying again how proud. And I, wrote, I never told her that. But she read it in the journal. She knew she wasn't supposed to read my journal. But my point was, it was there I realized that this was the legacy that I was going to live, that I was going to leave. Because people later on told my daughter that I was all about the money. I said, I was never about the money. I was about what the money could do for me. I understood I wasn't so uh, naive to believe that my kids would go to a better school on the salary of a janitor. I, you know, I mean, me rolling through the neighborhood in my Pontiac 2000, two-tone, one-tone rust, one-tone dirt. I understood that people didn't have the respect because of that. You know, people were turning away. Nobody thought John Malott was going to lead them to freedom. Nobody thought I was going to set them free. But it was, it was me making a decision to change my life, to move forward, to, to, to be the example for my kids. You know, today we got people. Look, thank you. It, I, I remember when, when my mother was around in the, in the early days. She used to, uh, she would pop in from time to time and she would smoke cigarettes and she would tell my brother and I that we shouldn't smoke cigarettes. It's interesting because her philosophy was do as I say, not as I do. How many people know, know people like that? You know, the leader who's back here telling you go charge the hill, but he's, you know, comfy in the tent with his boys drinking wine. I mean, nobody wants to follow that type of person. So I made a decision a long time ago that I would get in the trenches that the things I would ask my team to do. And eventually that team grew to over 100,000 distributors in eight different countries and countries I couldn't even speak the language in. But we built uh, and I'm going to go into a little bit of, of specifics. We, we built a duplicatable system. We built a system. We call it scaling. And this is what we learned. In order to scale a business, the number one component was simplicity. We learn to dumb everything down. We learn to break everything down to its lowest common denominator. It's like the McDonald's franchise. How do you serve billions of people? You break it down into a very systematic process oriented thing. So Burger Boy in Chicago, you could put him in a Burger King or a McDonald's here in Puerto Rico and he could do the exact same job. You guys, you guys with me? And by the way, does, does the guy at the counter, the kid at the counter, does he, does he need to wear a three-piece suit and, and have special closing techniques to sell you that Big Mac? No. It's, it's press a button. Would you like, the biggest upsell they have is would you like fries with your shake? They press a button and it's systematic. So we started to build systems. So everything we did from, from the get-go, everything, I learned early on something called the rule of three. You guys ever heard of the rule of three? See, what I see a lot of times from entrepreneurs, and it drives me crazy, but I, I love them, and I try to get in there in, in the trenches with them and coach them, is there's too many steps. It's too complex. 
It's too difficult to understand. And once, and you're going to lose me real quickly because my brain isn't, isn't built that way. I need it. Very, like Will Smith. You ever see the movie called Hitch with Will Smith? Will Smith taught me to dance. It was Will Smith. If you remember in the movie Hitch, see, I, I caught on. Like, I'm a white guy who I want to dance. Like, right now, I'll, if there's some music, I'll bust out the running man. I'll do some things, you know. But Will Smith said, look, stay in your lane, basically. This is where you live. This is where you live. So we started to teach entrepreneurs, stay in your lane. Keep it very simple. We started to teach entrepreneurs, use three things. You know, use a one, two, three-step process. Steve Jobs and what they, what they consider today, what some people say was the greatest commencement speech Sanford University ever had. What did he do? He told three stories there. Um, it was Brian Stevenson. He told three stories to get the longest uh, standing ovation in TED Talk history. Thomas Jefferson, what did he come up with? The three unalienable rights of mankind. You guys know what they are? What, what, what did he say? In the pursuit of happiness. Three things. They kept it simple. And, and we still remember. I wasn't there. I didn't have I had nothing to do with old Thomas Jefferson. But these things, these, <laughs> these things have stayed embedded in our head because they were simple. In the movies, what do they have? They have, they have uh, look, actors know the deal. It's lights, camera, action. What do runners do? What is, what's the deal for runners? Ready, set, go. How about this one? If you catch on fire today, because my presentation is so damn hot, if you catch on fire today, what are the three steps you know you should do? Stop, drop, and roll. What if you had 22 steps for putting yourself out? <laughs> Look, it, it, it would, you'd be in trouble right now. So my point is like, what we're teaching entrepreneurs to do is break down three things that you know you're good at. What are the three things? And then you could do a whole presentation. If nothing else, you're gonna walk to the back of the room and now investors are gonna come up and say, I wanna talk to you because a lot of us invest in the jockey, not necessarily the horse. I don't know anything about the tech. Now, I, I'm the CEO of a company called Master Nodes Partners. I, and I, it's not my thing. It was my thing. It's other people are running it, dealing with it. I invested money in it because of the people behind it. And they were so, they're so damn smart. I can't even sit in those rooms with them. You know, it, 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 it's, it's complex. It's, and if you can find a way to simplify these things, you can find people that will bring money to the table. And how much time do I have left? There's three elements, like for a lot of you guys that are pitching these products, I'll just tell you there's really three elements. It's your product, you know, that, that's, that's pretty simple. You know what that is? It's your opportunity because if I'm an investor, I want to know what that opportunity is. And then it's you, and you're the separating factor. It's product, opportunity, you. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I, went to, uh, I went to the doctor, I wasn't feeling so well, so I went to the doctor and, um, and he, he, you know, I, I wasn't feeling well, and then I was feeling a lot better later on. And I was walking through a park, and I, I run into. Matter of fact, um, my beautiful Nazla is sitting here. We are walking through the park, and we run into the doctor, and he noticed I was feeling, you know, so much better. He said, "Man, you look great. Everything looks good." And I said, "Yeah, it's because I followed your advice." And and I, when you told me to go find a hot mama and be cheerful, I found Nazla. And he said, "Wait a minute, I didn't tell you to do that." He said. I told you you had a heart murmur and be careful. <laughs> see, that was, just, that was just to see if you guys were paying attention. I want to see if you guys are still in the game. Uh, I, I'll tell you this, that uh, entrepreneurship really literally saved my life. You know, it was, I, all, I, all I basically did is I traded one addiction for a new one. And it became this passionate, and it wasn't a passion for me, it became a passion for other people. 
You know, as you start to develop people and you start to grow people and you watch people, you know, people come to me now and say, because of you, I live in a different neighborhood. Because of you, you know, I live a completely different life. Because of you, things have changed. And I realize well, as you're going through this process, which is not easier, as an entrepreneur, you have to hold on to two contradictory beliefs at the same time. Two contradictory beliefs at the same time. Number one is facts. The fact of the matter was, in my situation, no high school diploma, drug problem, felony arrest, all the things that society would say, you know, you, you shouldn't have, or you, that, that, that you can't be successful because of those things. So those were the facts. The facts were that, that I came from a broken home. The fact, I go on and on about the facts. And so as an entrepreneur, you know what the facts are. You know that, that you know, I was digging in change, getting change out of my ashtray to put gas in my, my tank. I was going to places, you know, I would go to the ATM and I would pray over the ATM before I would push the button, just praying I'd get my $20 out of the ATM. Anybody ever live like that? No, everyone in here is rich. I forgot, Puerto Rico, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, the, the fact, but the contradictory belief that you had to hold on to at the same time was the faith. The fact was, yes, I was broke, but the faith was one day I wouldn't be. The fact was that, yes, I was uneducated, but the faith was I could educate myself. That if another man or another woman could do it, then guess what John Malak could do it? Then anybody in here could, could do it. You guys follow me? This, these were the things that, that made the impact. I started to catch on. Yes, and people, I'll tell you what. In the book, Think and Grow Rich, there's 13 things. You guys, I don't know if you read the book, but they, they said there was 13 things that made the most successful people on the planet successful. 13 things that, that was intertwined and they had in common. Anybody want to know what those 13 things are? Okay, none of you. Just forget it, then we'll go on to the next topic. Um, <laughs> no, I was going to say, read the book, first off, read the book. <laughs> but what I will tell you, he said the number one, the number one reason people never get to where they want to be. Think about this. Why is it that so few have so much and so many have so little? They said in the book, the number one reason is because we listen to family and friends. The people that are closest to us will sometimes be the ones that will keep us from the God-given potential. You know why? It's, it's not that they don't love us. Matter of fact, it's because they love us. They, like my, uh, the, the people that love you, my, my kids, I don't necessarily want them, you know, on their BMX bikes, jumping over cars and stuff. But what I caught on to is that if I didn't encourage them, if I didn't allow them to do and, and, and become the things that they want to do and do the things that, that they had in them to do, if I was holding them back, and which we do all the time, they could never achieve those things. Without risk, there is no reward. People are trying to get something without giving something. As, uh, as I bring this uh, thing to an end, I'll just I'll leave you with a story. As an entrepreneur, it's a, I think in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, I feel like James Bond sometimes. You know how James Bond is? You know, 007, you know, calm, cool, collected. You, know, you might be freaking out on the inside, you know, freaking out on the inside. Like even coming up here, I, it's, it's more difficult to speak in a room like this with, you know, open chairs and a handful of people. And a lot of you, you know, didn't, don't know me from, you know, the next person than it is to speak like in, when I was in South Korea speaking to uh, our organization. We had 30,000 people in the room. And that's a, that's a much easier thing to do than get up in front of a room like this. Um, but I've learned over the years that you gotta be like James Bond, calm, cool, collected. All hell breaks out in the room, you grab your girls, shots are fired, ping, ping, ping. You just, you just keep rolling. Stay calm, cool, and collected because that's who people wanna follow. They don't wanna follow the leader that's freaking out all the time. Matter of fact, it reminds me of a story and I'll end with this story. So a guy is uh, on his African 
uh, safari and he's got his trusted little wiener dog with him and they're out, you know, looking at things and the, the little wiener dog kind of gets lost and, and wanders off on his own and now he can't find his master. He's looking around, he can't find his master and he's freaking out a little bit and, and he's, he's kind of stressed but he notices from the bush, he sees a leopard, you know, coming closer, closer and closer to him. Now he's a wiener dog in, in Africa and a leopard's coming co close to him. That's not a, a safe place for a little wiener dog to be. But he notices over in the sun, there's some dry bones uh, drying in the sun. So he kind of eases over to the bones. He picks up one of the bones. He starts gnawing on one of the bones. And as the leopard was just about to pounce, he said, man, this is some good leopard. I wonder if there's any more around here. So the leopard, hearing this, has to kind of, by the way, this is a true story. He kind of has to... You know, ease back into the bushes, ease back in the bushes to reevaluate. He hasn't seen a wiener dog before, but the wiener dog's eating a leopard. Clearly, what's going on? But while all this is happening, there's a monkey up in the tree, and the monkey sees that the leopard was just bamboozled by this little wiener dog. So thinking he's going to get some points, he says to the, to the leopard, he says, man, you just got, you just got did by this little wiener dog. And the leopard says, monkey, jump on my back. We're going to go take care of this right now. So... The wiener dog realizes now he's in big trouble. Here comes a leopard with a monkey on his back. So as, as the leopard and the monkey are within earshot, he looks up in the sky, he starts looking around. He says, I wonder where that monkey is. I sent him out looking for leopards hours ago. Some of you catch that on the way home. <laughs> My point to the story is stay calm. The, the things that we want, especially as millennials, our, our attention span, I'm saying as millennials, I'm, I'm claiming that, you know, for me and my people. Um, we want things fast. We want instant gratification. Sometimes, you know, we want it too fast. We're trying to force some things to happen. I'm telling you, be patient. You come to events like this. I, a lot of times I see people talking in the back. I see people out in the hallway. You'll see me up in the front taking notes. I, and, and, I, and I financially, I never have to worry about, you know, how my bills are going to be paid again. But I'll be on here taking more notes because what I realize, it, I'm not taking the notes for myself. I'm taking the notes for my team that isn't in this room yet, for the people I even, haven't even met yet, for the talks that I'll be invited to talk at some point. And everything I say is just a regurgitation of people I've heard before me. There's no John Mulat originals. Everything I've said to you today, I heard someone else say. <laughs> Even the monkey and the leopard story. As a matter of fact, they laughed more the last time I told that one. So. <laughs> Anyways, guys, I, I appreciate you. I love you. Entrepreneurship has saved my life. And God bless you.